Mark chapter 14, beginning in verse 1, and I'm reading from the New Revised Standard Version. It was two days before the Passover and the festival of unleavened bread. The chief priests and the scribes were looking for a way to arrest Jesus by stealth and kill him. For they said, Not during the festival, or there may be a riot among the people. While he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at the table, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very costly ointment of nard, and she broke open the jar and poured the ointment on his head. But some were there who said to one another in anger, Why was the ointment wasted in this way? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and the money given to the poor. And they scolded her. But Jesus said, Let her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has performed a good service for me. For you always have the poor with you, and you can show kindness to them whenever you wish, but you will not always have me. She's done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for its burial. Truly I tell you, wherever the good news is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in remembrance of her. Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priests in order to betray him, Jesus, to them. When they heard it, they were greatly pleased and promised to give him money. So he began to look for an opportunity to betray him. Why was Jesus so hard for so many people to follow? I think the reason, one of the reasons, maybe the primary reason that Jesus was so difficult is he refused the extreme answers to the questions of ethics. We live a life as Christians in which we try to navigate this natural desire to care for ourselves, to receive pleasure, to have joy in this life. And then the other set of responsibilities where we recognize that we are going to have to sacrifice ourselves for the good of other people sometimes. We're going to have to be willing to go without so that other people don't have to go with nothing. We recognize these two worlds. Which is the, how do we do it? Well, I think Jesus constantly tries to show us a healthy way forward. But his way looks like a compromise to just about everybody who comes in contact with him. And I think this story is an example. In this story, we see two things happening. One that explains why the Jewish leaders want nothing to do with him. And the other that shows the reason, one of the reasons, that some of his own disciples began to turn on him at the end. Jesus is betrayed by Judas. I think Mark would say, because he, Judas did not agree with the ethics of Jesus. So, what I want to kind of resist, it, this idea is pervasive throughout all of philosophical tradition in the West. And this is the idea that the most pure, the most holy, are the people who deny themselves the most. I'm going to read a quotation from Marvin Wilson's book, Our Father Abraham, Jewish Roots of the Christian Faith. I've quoted from it many times. I've alluded to this passage before, but I've never read it in its entirety. And in some ways, I hope you'll hear this passage as directing the conversation we're going to have here from Mark chapter 14. So this is from Marvin Wilson. Though rejected by Paul, the ascetic attitude of do not taste, do not touch, Colossians 2 verse 21, remains deeply embedded in the history of Christian thought. At the time of the Reformation, the Dutch scholar Erasmus noted that Christianity in his day had come to be defined not in loving one's neighbor, but in abstaining from cheese and butter for Lent. 
Even the great churchman John Wesley carried in his theology of perfection a strain of asceticism. This is a quote from Wesley. Beware of desiring anything but God. Admit no desire of pleasing food or any other pleasures of sense. No desire of pleasing the eye or the imagination by anything grand or new or beautiful. No desire of happiness in any creature. That's the end of John Wesley's quotation, helping us understand what it looks like to be perfect. The overall thrust of Scripture, Wilson continues, however, reflects a different emphasis. Though physical pleasure is not the highest good or the solitary goal of life, one should receive and affirm it with an attitude of grateful acceptance. Anyone may become mastered by material possessions, physical passions, or the like. Many good things may be abused, indeed become idols if they come between a person and God. You can see 1 Timothy 6, 9 through 10. But the biblical solution is not ascetic denial of such pleasures. Rather, it's for one humbly to dedicate these to God as a responsible steward of the Creator's good gifts. In the same rich Hebraic tradition, Jesus says a full yes to creation in the material world. In the Gospels, we read of farmers and fishermen, birds and flowers, weddings and holidays, eating, drinking, and celebrating. Jesus affirmed God as creator not only of the heavenly and visible world, but also of the earthly and tangible. Jesus called men and women not to escape from this earthly order, but to act responsibly as thankful servants, those privileged to share in the temporal blessings that the Father had bestowed. In Paul's words, all things are yours, 1 Corinthians 3.21, implying that as God's own children, we are to participate fully and responsibly in this present world of flesh and blood. If we find enjoyment in the here and now, see Ecclesiastes 3.12-13, we should not be surprised. We know this enjoyment comes from the hands of a loving Creator who brought us into being with our best interests at heart. Hence, the Jerusalem Talmud states that in the life to come, a person must give an account of every good thing he might have enjoyed in this life, but did not. That's from Kiddushin 4.12. I'll say that again. The Jerusalem Talmud states that in the life to come, a person must give an account of every good thing he might have enjoyed in this life, but did not. In the rabbi's view, not to enjoy every legitimate pleasure was in essence to be an ingrate before the master of the universe. That's the end of the quotation. Somehow, we have to find a way to be holy in the midst of the real world, a world created by God. There's this tradition in the West, and by the West I mean Europe and the Americas, in which we are, we, we, I don't know if we'd say it overtly, but we kind of seem to be under the suspicion that God gave us bodily pleasures to test us. What Wilson is trying to help us to understand is that the worldview of the people that Jesus was growing up with and the people of Judaism was a worldview in which we were supposed to be grateful people. And one of the ways we give thanks to God is by enjoying what He has entrusted to us. We have to do it within bounds, of course. Bounds of the law, bounds of ethics. But to not enjoy what God has given for our pleasure is an insult to the God who gave the gift. Jesus tries to help His people to find a balance between indulgence and sacrifice between proper care for themselves and proper care of others. And it seemed that his followers constantly wanted to live on the extremes. And that's what happens here in this story. 
the first issue we need to deal with is the issue of finding balance in our relationship with the law. The second issue we're going to deal with is finding balance in our relationship with pleasure, with indulgence. And finally, we'll talk about what it means truly to show loyalty to God and neighbor, which is the, the line that Jesus consistently tries to follow. Look again at our passage in chapter 14 there. I'm just going to read the first few verses again, beginning in verse 1. It was two days before the Passover and the festival of unleavened bread. While he, Jesus, was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at the table, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very costly ointment of nard. Jesus is in the house of Simon the leper. Now, leprosy, um, th- what we would call leprosy, is one category of skin diseases. The word here in the Greek could refer to any number of skin disorders, so we don't know exactly what Simon had. But according to the law of Moses, any of those skin diseases, whether they were chronic or short-term, would make a person temporarily unclean. And what that meant in Israel was the person could not participate in the feasts. And he could not participate in sacrifices. He couldn't go into the temple. So whoever this Simon is, whether this is long-term leprosy or a short-term skin condition, this is a guy who is preempted from celebrating the Passover because of his condition. So we're on the eve of Passover, and Jesus, who you would imagine would want to be clean since he wants to celebrate the Passover, decides he's going to spend his night in a guy's house who has leprosy, hence exposing himself to uncleanness. So you know who that drives crazy? The law people! Because the Pharisees and the Jewish leaders believed that the way to show your holiness was to obey the letter of the law no matter the consequences. And the law was very clear about what you do with people who are unclean. And very clearly, you avoid them. And Jesus wants to be killed. They want to kill him. They want to kill him. Because over and over again, he shows mercy. Verse 4. After she's poured this very expensive bottle. But some were there who said to one another in anger, Why was the ointment wasted in this way? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and the money given to the poor. And they scolded her. But Jesus said, let her alone. Why do you trouble her? She's performed a good service for me. For you always have the poor with you, and you can show kindness to them whenever you wish. But you'll not always have me. She's done what she could. She's anointed my body beforehand for its burial. Truly I tell you, wherever the good news is proclaimed, the story will be told. What happened there? 300 denarii is not a small amount. A denarius denarius was uh, the average daily pay for a manual laborer in Jesus' day. So we're talking about 300 days wages. So almost a year of salary for the average person was bound up in what was probably a family heirloom because it had been sealed up. Very expensive ointment, probably there as an insurance policy for the family that if they ever went in hard times, this could be sold. And it would probably save them. Well, she breaks it open, she just dumps it on Jesus. And this is a legitimate concern. Now, of course, the Gospel of John tells us that Judas used to take money out of that shared pot that they had, so he might have had an incentive. But at the same time, this is a legitimate concern. What does Jesus want of us? 
What I want to insist here is that Jesus, throughout his ministry in Mark, and we see it here too, actually toes a line of balance, right? Jesus is with the people. He's healing the people. And, and they keep coming to him, and they want healing, and he ministers to them. But then there are other moments in the Gospel of Mark where Jesus disappears to lonely places and no one can find him. So Jesus shows sometimes this desire to get away, to take care of himself. We're told in Mark that he routinely went to lonely places to pray. Just when his popularity began to swell, he, he moved on to the next place. And here we have an example. Of course, he was called a glutton and a drunkard by his critics because of who he ate with. So we have Jesus always kind of balancing this line. And we have it here too. This is an exorbitant expense to allow this woman to dump this perfume all over him. For what good purpose? When there are so many needy people in the world. When there are so many needy people right there in his immediate area. And he says, this was appropriate. And Judas' response was to go out and say, that's it. He's got to die. And now Jesus, who's trying to show us a a way of holiness, is considered a sinner by people on both of the extremes. But Jesus has told us what his actual loyalty is. And we find this in Mark chapter 12. If you have your Bibles, I'll invite you to turn there. Jesus is questioned. They ask him, what is the greatest commandment? And he says this, Mark chapter 12, verse 29. Jesus answered, the first is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There's no other commandment greater than these. Jesus' life was an exemplary life of a balance. Jesus is willing to make the ultimate self-sacrifice when that needs to happen for us. And he does it. But he's also one who takes time for himself, who says no to some healings in Mark. Did you read it with these eyes? Who refuses to help some people who come to him. Who leaves an area just when he's becoming most popular to move on to an area where nobody knows him. And when the time is appropriate, he allows a lavish outpouring of expense on him. Not all the time, but when it's appropriate. Extremes are always simpler because you don't have to mess with the gray. You just always know what to do when you live on an extreme. But in the real world, It's more thorny. And if you're going to follow the way of Jesus, you're going to have to be willing to look the hypocrite to those who want to live in the extremes. Because the way of Jesus is a way of full humanity. We have to find a way to embrace and sanctify and be faithful with all that has been entrusted to us. Our capacity for pleasure and our capacity for sacrifice. Our capacity for happiness and our capacity to lay down our happiness so that others can have a better situation. We find a way in the midst of these things 
So we're to enjoy our bodily pleasures within limits. But there is a time for everything under the sun. All throughout the Bible, God commands his people to have parties. All throughout. Because they were Jewish. Because they knew who God was. They weren't supposed to party all the time. But they had to know how to enjoy things. The problem with us is we use it in ways he's asked us not to. But not that we enjoy things. And I think for Jesus, you have to be willing to pour out the nard when it's appropriate. Peace and transformation happens when we begin to learn to live as humans within the limits that God has placed on us for our good and for the good of others. So there are limits that have to be placed on everything we do, but denial in itself is not a virtue. Share what you receive. Enjoy it. Know how to throw a party and party within limits. It's about knowing the appropriateness of the moment. Because our loyalty is to the God who made us, and part of worshiping Him is enjoying the gifts He has given. But our loyalty is also to our neighbor. So our loyalty to God must never be allowed to convince us that our neighbor's needs and joys and happiness are inconsequential to us. Learning how to celebrate is an essential part of learning how to be holy. And it's an essential part of learning how to love those who are hurting. If we fail to learn how to celebrate, I think we fail to learn what it means to be Christian. Let's find a way to do both, to be balanced. This is the Word of God, I think.